Hello, hello, and welcome to In My Shoes. It's a podcast for women of color where we talk about the issues we're facing every day, y'all. I am your host, Karen Davis Thompson, and this is a bonus episode for everyone. Um, If you recall, when we first talked a few weeks ago, the last episode was going to be a couple of avid listeners talking about episodes that really spoke to them. And then when I had the opportunity to speak with three Black educators about COVID in the classroom, it was such a timely discussion that I thought I thought it was best to go ahead and air it. And so we made that the last episode of season, season one. It is episode 30. It's out there now for you to listen to. But I still wanted to bring this great episode about what these two ladies had to say about in my shoes and what has resonated with them i just wanted some of my listeners to know how much i appreciate them and i appreciate all of you and so it'll be two interviews that i put together so one will end and the other one will start right after it and we'll tease a little bit about what you can expect for season two so i hope you'll listen to that and enjoy hey guys so as i told you i'll be having some of my listeners on Uh, on today's episode just to talk about their favorites and why. And so right now I have with me Vera Smith Winfrey, and she's going to talk a little bit about her favorite episode. We'll get into why it was her favorite, a little bit of the things that I talked about with that particular guest, um, and just kind of go from there. So Vera, say hello and tell us a little bit about yourself. Hi, Karen. Uh, I'm Vera Smith Winfrey. I'm a native New Yorker, and I currently reside in Connecticut. I serve as the executive director of a chamber of commerce in a, in Bloomfield, Connecticut, and I am married uh, with a son who is 19 years old and entering his sophomore year um, at the University of Mary Washington. Thank you for that. So we, before we get into the episode, so 19, I have a 20 year old, so um, feel your pain. Uh, so. <laughs> Um, So what is it like going back to school for him with the quarantine and everything? What is his school saying they're going to do? Well, they are going to do a hybrid. So um, they are going to start online classes this coming week. So this seems like it's been forever. Um, And then in early September, they are moving back on campus. So we're keeping all of our fingers very crossed and hoping and praying that um, they'll be able to continue through the rest of the semester with no cases. Yeah, I know it's, it's scary everywhere. Colleges, you know, I know a couple of them opened and then had to quickly close because the kids are going to parties off campus. And um, what was it like? I know having him home for an extended period of time. My 20 year old um, went to trade school, so he's a welder. So he was already living here. But what was it like having him uh, return home? Quite frankly, I think I was probably more disappointed for him um, than he was. Um, so it was a great transition for him to be here. And I really enjoyed having him here. And he did very well towards the end of the semester. I mean, in fact, he finished very strong. Um, But I think that at the end of the day, he missed being around his friends and I don't blame him. You know, those were the best, some of the best four years of my life. And I really wanted that experience for him um, to be the same. And so I think of course, for many students, it was a big transition. You know, you have your independence you're discovering this newfound independence, you know, how to manage and navigate, um, you know, being out on your own for the first time. And then all of a sudden comes to a very sudden halt. Um, And this can be very disruptive. But I think the thing that I did, what I thought was really most important was not to be a nag when he came home. It was really important for me to understand that he already had Um, a system. He had a routine. I let him continue that routine. If he normally slept till 12 or if he knew what time his classes were, 
and he knew how he needed to get his, his schoolwork done, then I let him have that process because I too was working from home. So he had his space, I had my space, and I let him be who he was. I hope that he'll be able to go back um, and experience some great times. It'll just have to be, it will look very different than it would have looked like um, for us or even two years ago. But I really do hope that it will be a great experience. I hope so. I think it will be. You know, they're resilient and can adapt to that. Um, so hopefully whatever that looks like, they'll be able to at least get that really great college experience that they can look back on the way we do. Um, and actually, speaking of college, so your favorite episode uh, was the one with Sybil Wilkes. Is that right? That's correct. And so the reason I said speaking of college, I discovered the Tom Jordan Morning Show as a college student at Florida a University. Um, and I just really loved the mix the, the music, then they had that uh, soap opera it's your world, and then um, they always had the news of the day really making it important for us as people of color to know how important it was for us not to only understand what's going on around us, but to really be in tune with you know, uh, the, the, the news that impacted Black folks and then the little known Black history fact. I just loved all of it. Uh, so tell me a little bit about why that was your favorite. Well, I started listening to Tom Joyner Morning Show when I moved to Connecticut. Um, you know, being in the Hartford County, I thought that it was going to be very much like New York because it was an urban um, city. It was a it's a state capital. And coming from New York, I had tons of urban radio stations to listen to, whether it be, you know, WRKS, KISS FM, whether it be BLS. Um, you know, with all the different um, disc jockeys and all the different types of urban music. And when I got here, I realized that that was not the case. Um, and so I was really disappointed because I felt completely out of touch and uh, with my community. And the fact that I was only getting news on or from the television. So I would be in my office at work and I realized that many of the radio stations or urban radio stations actually just began this whole thing of um, streaming. So I would just kind of do a search for different urban radio stations around the country. And I can't remember the call letters of the station I would listen to online, but I do remember oh, that I found um, the Tom Jordan Morning Show and listened religiously um, for those two or three hours every single day because it did keep me in touch with my community and not just my local community, but things that were happening around the world. Um, and I was a huge fan of It's Your World. I thought it was funny. Um, I thought it was uplifting to listen to the show. And quite frankly, I really loved Sybil Wilkes. I loved her perspective. I loved her take. I loved her opinion on different topics and how she attacked them. And it was so brief. They were, you know, these brief snippets, um, but it really felt like you were getting so much in those brief moments. And have you been following her since um, the show went off the air? I know it was really like, oh man, it's like the end of an era when he decided to retire. But have you been able to kind of keep up with her since the show went off the air? No, because I don't stream as often as I used to. And I didn't know that she was doing much. And so when I saw her name as a guest on your show, I became you know super excited to know that she was still actively engaged and involved in a lot of different things. And, um, and again, once again, she talked about you know the Obamas and the elections. And for me, it was great to once again hear her perspective. 
Yeah. And she has that five things you need to know. I think there was a link in the show notes. Um, I subscribe to that. So it's neat to get that every day. Um, I know she does a few things on IG. Um, and so uh, one of the things that I talked about with her that was really interesting, we were able to have that conversation and we talked about Kamala Harris a little bit. So what do you think about her being the um, vice presidential nominee for the Democratic Party? I am really hopeful that this will be the start of some new change. I'm hopeful that people will recognize that we need something different. We need something that will speak to a lot of different people. We need something that will bring our country back together again. And I think just from seeing all the support, you know, I just watched the um, the DNC. Uh, it was great to be able to watch it, stop, pause, you know, rewind, go back. Um, and I'm really hopeful that people will think and realize that, okay, this is the breath of fresh air that we needed. This is the cohesiveness. This is the camaraderie that we need, not only in the White House, but also as a country and as we uh, are working together. And this is the kind of thing that we'll need to bring us together again, in, uh, in particularly during a pandemic. I completely agree. And it was it was a surreal experience the way we were all watching the DNC. Uh, but you could go back and just kind of uh, rewind, take a listen. Um, and she was really excited about Kamala Harris being um, uh, the, a proposed person that he was interested in. And so to know that that's who he had chosen uh, was really exciting. And it was uh, fun to be able to talk uh, to her about that. Um, and you talked a little bit about why her perspective uh, was so important to you. Um, is there anybody today or is there anything that you're listening to today that kind of gives you that same feeling, that same ability to get some perspective about what's going on, uh, not only in our country, but just for people of color? Well, I really do listen, I really do enjoy listening to Joy Reid. Um, I think she's, you know, no nonsense, straightforward, she gets right to the point, right to the heart of the issue. Um, and I like the fact that it often doesn't seem very jaded. Um, I think this is one of the reasons why I tend to listen to like the CNNs or the MSNBCs, because it doesn't seem so um, targeted to one population. So I really enjoy listening to her. Um, if you had had the chance to inter interview Sybil, what was one thing you would have wanted to know or a question you maybe would have asked her? I really would have asked her more about her relationship with her mother. Um, you know, I, I understand that she had a very close relationship with her mother and that she lost her mother, um, you know, very, you know, kind of early, earlier in her career. And, you know, what are some of the things that she would have liked to discuss with her mother, you know, throughout her career? Um, so if she could, you know, talk about how she would interview her mother and what kind of things that the conversations that she would share with her, given all the things that are going on around the country. And the reason why I talk about that is because, you know, not too long ago, I lost my father. So it would be really, I think about those things, like the kind of conversations that we would have and what we would share and be able to talk about world events. And so those, those I'm certain of the fact that I would ask her about that. And she did talk about that briefly um, about her mom. And so that really resonated with me. 
She did. She did. That would have been a good follow-up. What if I had thought of that one? That would have been a good one. <laughs> um, so thank you so much, uh, Vera, for spending this time. I'm talking to a few guests today about their favorites, and you have been a loyal uh, follower. It's just one more question I wanted to ask before we close, though. What was it about the podcast? Why was it something that you started listening to in my shoes? One of my dearest friends uh, advertised or promoted um, in my shoes on her face, I mean, on her, on her Instagram page. And she and I have been close, close friends for a very long time. And uh, Maureen Green James. And, um, you know, for me, if Maureen speaks, I listen. And so, and uh, I really value her opinion. And so her promoting it meant to me that it must be good. And I just started listening because that was something that I really enjoy doing. Um, is listening to people because you can do so many other activities while you're listening as well. Um, and it was just a variety of topics that you had. It wasn't just, you know, one thing or one idea the entire time. You talked about adoption, you talked about interracial relationships, colorism, you know, raising black children or raising a black son, um, you know, raising a black daughter. So all of it was intriguing and interesting and fun to listen to. And so, you know, it brightened my day. And so I really enjoyed that opportunity to listen to something different. Well, thank you. We really appreciate that. Um, we've got a lot for season two, so a lot for you to listen to. Um, we'll be uh, premiering that next week with uh, Egypt Sherrod, who's actually um, from HGTV. She's talking a little bit about what she's been doing. Um, and I asked her to be my guest because she did a really powerful video that someone shared with me about uh, the number of black and brown women, particularly, who go missing every year uh, from sex trafficking, et cetera, and the fact that it wasn't getting as much publicity um, in the media. So even though she's a TV personality, um, the reason I reached out was really around that subject. Uh, so I'm really looking forward to sharing that conversation. So she'll be our premiere for season two. So um, a lot more to talk about. And thank you so much for being a listener. I love Maureen. Um, she is somebody that when she speaks, I think everybody stops to listen. <laughs> um, she has so many gems to share. Um, so thank you for that, for being a loyal listener. And we hope that you will continue um, to be able to bring you things that you're interested in. If there are topics you want to hear about that we haven't mentioned, girl, just let us know. Um, and we're happy to incorporate that because we want our audience to be excited about what they hear. Uh, so thank you for taking this time to talk with me today. Um, and like I said, I hope you'll just keep listening to In My Shoes. I absolutely will. And thank you for being you, Karen. Hey, guys, it's your host, Karen Davis Thompson, just working on this last episode as we celebrate the end of season one and talking with another guest who uh, has been following the show and she let us know what episodes really resonated with her. So I'm going to let her say hello really quickly. And I have Akra Sinjay with me. Hi, how are you? Good. How are you? I'm doing great. Go ahead and tell our listeners a little bit about yourself. Okay. Well, as Karen mentioned, my name is Akris Sinjay. I am 43 years old. I am originally from the Caribbean, um, the Virgin Islands, St. Thomas in particular. And I have been residing in Pennsylvania, um, Northeast Pennsylvania, for the past almost 20 years. Um, I am the mother, single mother of four children um, currently. Um, I have a six and a half year old daughter, a four and a half year old, well, four little or four year old son, and two twin girls that are three and a half. And I have adopted them from the foster care system. 
And why was uh, adopting from foster care something you wanted to do? Well, since I was, um, I would say around 12 or so, I was, um, I grew up in church and there were many families that actually were foster families. And for some reason, I decided that I wanted to do that. Um, not sure why, because there were teenagers and so they had a, um, a lot of situations and behaviors and stuff, but I had decided from that point that that was something that I wanted to do. And so as I grew older and the marriage thing didn't happen, I decided, you know, I can do this on my own. I don't have to be married because, you know, times have changed and it's not a faux pas anymore. <laughs> and so um, that's when I started to get involved and that was 2000. Well, and it was very important to me to be an answer in that manner. Also, knowing about the statistics, how many children age out, and because I've always loved babies and toddlers, and and that's something I've done from the time I was eleven, as far as babysitting and such. I mean, really being the one to you know take care of kids. Um, I decided that I wanted to be an answer in that particular age group because I saw the trajectory of how you know. If you get them young, then you can help more alleviate the, I guess, the responding um, behaviors and, and things like that and the back and forth. And by the time they're able to be adopted, nobody wants to deal with all the behaviors. So if, we can, if I can get them early, then I can be an uh, answer in that way. Thank you for that. And, and it's funny because, you know, our stories mirror uh, so much. Um, I am married, but we did decide to go through foster care. Um, and it was through our church. Our church had a um, foster care and adoption agency and we were licensed through our church and there were several people in our church who were adopting or fostering. And so um, it's just funny how our stories kind of mirror one another. Uh, so tell me a little bit about the episodes that resonated with you and why. So that is actually what resonated with me. Um, there are not a lot of people of color um, that, I mean, I know it's gotten more and better, but there are not a lot of people of color that if they are doing it, that they speak out publicly about their experience. And so I came across your um, page somehow via Facebook. I'm not remembering exactly how, but what captured my eye was when you were talking about your daughter. And so I listened to, I went and found you, your podcast, and I listened to your episodes. And the ones that spoke to me the most I would say our episodes, the full episodes one and two, where you were talking about your, your daughter's story, um, because your daughter is older now and my daughter is younger. And so I really felt compelled to want to talk to you because a lot of the things that I saw within my daughter, it was just so challenging because it's like no one saw what I was seeing or had the exact same symptoms. And so I really wanted to understand, being that your daughter was older, like what did you see in your daughter at the age of my daughter so that I can kind of have a glimpse into the future, um, kind of. So, And to also hear another person of color with the same story, your choice to adopt without having biological children. Not that you couldn't, but that was your choice and also mine. And so just hearing that similarity was what really... Um, and I totally agree. You know, as I said in those episodes, it was part of the reason why I wanted to do this 
uh, was because I don't think that people talk about it enough. Um, and I struggled with it a little bit just because, you know, I have two children that I've adopted and so much uh, can be said about obviously what I'm going through with my daughter. And I didn't want to discourage people from doing it, but I also wanted them to be clear about what they were getting themselves into if you go through the foster care system. You know, they're not in foster care because their lives were, you know, blooming and doing great. I mean, and so, you know, the likelihood that there will be some um, effects of, of whatever they've been through is huge. And so I felt like people needed to know that, not that they would be, you know, that they would be afraid to do it, but just because I felt like they needed um, to know the, the whole picture and that people of color didn't need to be afraid of saying, yeah, this was the choice I made. Um, did you ever get people asking you, and I see you've got your hand up, so I know you want to comment. I'll ask this question and you can also comment. Hey, did you ever get, you know, people asking you like you're strange because you didn't want to have children biologically? Um, I, I think they understood because I was very clear about why I was doing it. And I am quick to point out the statistics and which people are not unaware of. <laughs> it's just that either they choose not to really see it or they, you know, okay, I know it's happening, but it's not affecting me type of a thing. So I was always very clear because I then turn around and say, you know, but then I, I also agree with your comment there because one of the things that was a struggle for me is when they do reach out to families and um, about adopting or fostering, you know, they do make it sound a little rosy. They kind of brush over the parts with, with the issues um, that can happen because as you said, they're not in foster care because everything was just beautiful. They're there for a reason. And a lot of times it's not just, okay, this happened to them. It has also happened to their parents. Their parents also were in the system or are dealing with mental health situations or, you know, there's, you know, it can go back generations. And so um, for me, it's very important for people to understand and bring up the fact that this is happening. There are the statistics, you know, so that if you can be an answer in some way, even if it's not adopting to be an answer in some way that you can. And also, letting them to know, as you said, I, that's what I love about listening to you because you're very open about your, your situation, your struggles and that your daughters have, and even, you know, you parenting her. And I think that needs to be very clear, not to discourage, but to, to be honest, if it's going to discourage you, then I think that it's best that that happen before you even get started rather than you be in the middle of doing it and having a child in your home that thinks that this is a solid thing. And then you realize that, no, I can't deal with it. I really think there needs to be more people speaking up about the raw reality of what can happen. It may not happen to that extent, or it may not happen. You know, some kids don't really have much behavioral, but, you know, to be very honest, I think based on, you know, what I've seen, the majority of children, as you said, they come in because of a situation, because of a certain home life, a certain environment. And they are likely gonna have some type of residual effect, whether it be behaviorally or, or mentally or emotionally because of that. And they need to understand that because you need to understand that as a parent, it really shouldn't be, okay, I'm doing this because of this picture in my mind, but if this is happening, that's outside of that picture, it's a little harder than I thought that, oh, this is a disposable, situation that you go into it realizing that for better or for worse this you know your dedication to that challenge understanding the challenges and 
how you can help them, whether it's a challenge that's just going to be temporary or where it's going to be a lifetime challenge. So I think there needs to be more of that. Definitely. Absolutely. I completely agree. I think I may have mentioned on one of those episodes, I had a, um, a, a friend who was thinking of doing it and she was so worried about ending up in a situation like mine with my daughter. And I was like, you know, then this may not be for you because there are no guarantees. And I guess for me, and I don't know if you felt the same way, if I had had a baby with issues of any kind, you know, mental health issues, physical disabilities. I mean, what would, you know, there's no deciding that, oh, I don't want to do this. So I'm just going to say, here you go. I mean, if I had birthed a child, people would be appalled if I were to do that. And you should feel the same way if you're adopting a child. You, you've you got to know that parenting, regardless of how you get there, whatever you have in your head, it's not necessarily going to go that way. Um, and you need to be uh, prepared for that. And so I totally agree. More people need to just be honest about here's here's what you can expect or here's what you need to be prepared for. Let's put it that way, because every child is different. And what have been some of the challenges that you faced that maybe you weren't quite um, as prepared for as maybe they should have when you took your classes, once you started um, adopting and parenting your children? Well, I don't think that there's any much more that they could have told me. <laughs> um, I think hearing more from other, from families, that, because even when they did have other foster or adoptive parents come in, it wouldn't go too far as far as the negative part. And so really being able to speak some to someone outside of that so they can be really real about, <laughs> you know, what it can be like. Um, would have been more helpful. You know, when I went in, I thought if people were in it, they're in it for the betterment of the children and that's what it was about. And then I quickly realized, you know, the different dynamics that go on there. And so when I came back in, I came in with all of that knowledge and not so green eyed, but, you know, more like, okay, this is what I know the situation is. This is how I have to be. And as far as my children, my daughter, when she came to me, she was two. What was really helpful for me, other than that experience in 2012, was when my daughter, my first child that came to me, um, she came to me at two. There really weren't a lot of issues that I saw until I started to teach her to put her clothes on and eat and, you know, potty train. And so then I started to realize that there was much more going on. And so I think being able to more speak with people in the same situation, especially instance, okay, she's two, maybe somebody with a child that is, you know, 10 and a child that's a teenager and a child that's an adult, you know, just being able to hear because you can then kind of, I guess, see the different traits that you can be aware of in the future or to look out for and to know, oh, it may possibly be this and this is how this person has handled it. And this is what I need to look out for. So it doesn't kind of hit you upside the head when it happens. And you're thinking, is this something or is it nothing? Is it a trauma thing? Is it genetic? genetic? Is it biological? You know, so that to me was um, my struggle because I know the trauma part, but is it trauma or is it trauma and, you know, and so 
that was the back and forth of that. But then I realized that it just wasn't the trauma because they'll say, you know, give the love and, you know, and everything. And as if it'll, everything will just disappear. And that's not true. For me, I had to become somebody different to parent my children. And I think the for parents to know that or potential parents to understand that that may be something that you have to do. You can't be so set on it happening this way. You have to be the one to conform and to bend to a point to parent that child in the way that will help them to grow and heal as much as possible so that they can become, you know, the best moving forward and into adulthood. I think that, um, you know, again, so much in common. So my baby was two uh, when she came to us and, you know, in the beginning, you could say it was because uh, she was in a new environment and things just were not, um, you know, I saw some things that just didn't seem to be improving. So I can completely understand that as well as, um, you know, having to adjust whatever I had in my mind about parenting and what it would be like, um, especially, you know, I have a son and a daughter. So, you know, what it would be like having a girl and what that relationship would be like. Um, and I'll just give an example and then ask one more question before uh, we get ready to wrap. But, you know, one of the things that I had to let go of was, you know, I have a niece who's uh, a few years older than my daughter. And so, you know, the whole homecoming and prom thing and and how all of that went and the types of conversations you'd have as they got older and interested in boys, et cetera. So I, I had to uh, realize that my situation with my daughter would not be the same. I wouldn't have that same type of uh, reality and relationship that my sister was able to have with my niece. And so I had to mourn that if you if you want to call it that or just accept that, you know, my journey as a mom is not going to be what I've seen with other people because this is the reality of the situation and I need to parent her where she is and be grateful for, you know, however our relationship, um, you know, is established and let go of what I had in my head. Um, so was there anything in particular that you kind of had in your head that you had to let go of in order to parent your special needs child? Well, if I can be truly honest, I would say that I had to let go of the idea that, because, you know, I mean, as a child, I I watch other people with their children. I mean, children, you know, sometimes, you know, they're pretty cool and you have a great time and sometimes especially as teenagers, they have their moments. I had to let go of the fact that this journey of parenting my child may entail more not so fun days than fun days. I can, if I can be truly honest, that's what I will say. I have to be so vigilant on how things are affecting not just her, but I have another child that looks like, you know, she's following kind of on the same track as her. You know, my son apparently has some attention uh, issues. And so I just have to be so vigilant. So instead of just being able, you get up in the morning, you know, you can eat breakfast, you know, he, he, ha, ha, play a game. I have to be so mindful. Oh, let's go to the park or, oh, let's go to the butterfly festival. That'll be fun. Let's just randomly do that you know, spontaneous. Um, I can't do that because I have to keep in my mind, okay, if we are going to go here, then I have to keep in mind how is her response going to be? Because I know that when we are in certain environments, especially if it's something that's off of the norm of how her day goes, that she will possibly react a certain way that may put us into some days 
of getting her back to a good point. Um, so I would say that that is something that I have had to let go of. And I, I do agree with that. There were a lot of rough days more than I thought. Um, I just want to thank you for taking out a little bit of time to talk about uh, what you enjoyed about the show and why you were listening and hope that you'll continue. We are getting ready for uh, season two. I talked earlier about a couple of the guests that we'll have. And so hopefully we'll still have some stories that resonate with you. I did do an episode last week with an update on my daughter. Uh, things are still, you know, they're rough, but we're, we're, we're plugging along. So um, thank you so much. Good luck to you thank in your you. journey as a mom. I'm so glad to be able to uh, wear that badge of being a foster mom and adoptive mom along with you. Um, and just hoping that, you know, things go as well as they can for you and for the kids. Well, guys, that's all the time we had for today. I hope you enjoyed listening to what these two ladies had to say about what they loved about season one. Hope you had some favorites too. As always, if you have anything you want us to talk about on In My Shoes, you can hit me up at KDT at InMyShoesToday.com. That is KDT at InMyShoesToday.com. Looking forward to season two and starting off with Egypt Sherrod as our opening guest this Thursday. So look forward to that. And until then, be blessed.